Good morning. To help us uh, prepare for Christmas, I hope that's not news to anybody that <laughs> Christmas is coming, uh, but to help us prepare, uh, we're starting a, a series today for the next three weeks. Uh, we'll be looking at the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app and you want to follow along, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, if you're familiar with these three verses, if you've read them or maybe if you just looked at them uh, this morning, you might wonder why we're going to do an Advent uh, series based on these verses when at first glance they don't seem to say anything about Christmas. Uh, there's no mention about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, nothing about angels and shepherds and <clears throat> Mary and Joseph and all the other details of Jesus' birth. So here's the reason we're going to look at these verses because they tell us some really important and amazing things about the person whose birth we're celebrating. You probably know this, but it's worth remembering what it is that we are really celebrating at Christmas time. It's not the day. It's not December 25th. It's not even the fact that it's a holiday and, you know, you don't have to go to work. And uh, we're not even celebrating mainly certain beliefs about Christmas and about things that are true because Christmas happened. The main thing we're celebrating, above and beyond everything else, is the person, the person who was born. It's his birth. It's, it's, he's the one. We're celebrating Jesus, the Son of God, the most amazing person who has ever been born. Wouldn't it be weird... Wouldn't it be weird if um, we, we, we got distracted with other things celebrating somebody else's birthday the way we, we sometimes do with Christmas? I mean, isn't it, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it, with all, with all the busyness and the shopping and the gift buying and gift exchanging and parties and all of that stuff. Uh, we, can, we can get distracted from celebrating the person, Jesus. And if we do, then our celebration is going to be less than it could be and less than it should be. And it would be so weird if we did that with other people. You know, someone in your family, it's their birthday. You know, a kid, a child, grandchild, or uh, brother, sister, whatever. And we got distracted in all of our preparations for the event, like getting the invitations out and buying the presents and the balloons and the party favors and all that stuff. And the person was kind of an afterthought. Oh, oh, yeah, you. You were born on this day. That's right. almost forgot. You say, well, that'd be weird. Yeah, it would. Be crazy because it's the person who's the main thing, right? Well, the book of Hebrews and these verses can help us not do that with Christmas because they focus 
they focus and emphasize the main thing, namely the person. Jesus, the Son of God, who was born. And um, actually, the whole book of Hebrews does that. And you might be interested to know that I'm, I'm planning to continue on through the book after the first of the year. Um, but for now, we're going we're gonna to focus on those first three verses and how they can help us celebrate Jesus as we celebrate Christmas. So let's look. We're in Hebrews chapter 1. There's a note sheet in your folder if you want to take some notes. Hebrews 1, beginning at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, our ancestors, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, the Son of God, is described in some pretty incredible ways here, and we need to understand what these descriptions mean. I mean, what, what does it mean that God appointed him heir of all things? What, what does it mean that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature? We need to know. And so the plan is to look carefully at these descriptions over the next couple of weeks so we can understand what they mean. But we need to understand more than that. We need to understand why it matters that these things are true of Jesus. So what if Jesus is the heir of all things? So what? if he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature and all these other things that it says here about him. How does that make a difference? How should that make a difference in your life and in my life? See, that's really why this book is in our Bibles. It tells us many profound truths about the Son of God, but it doesn't tell us those things just to improve our intellectual understanding, you know, just so our, our beliefs will be more accurate. Um, that's good. That's important. But there's more. That's not the end. That's a means to the end. What's the end? What's the aim? It tells us these things in order to motivate us to know him better personally. And, and why do we need to know him better personally? so that we will rely on him more completely. You'll see it as we go, but just to give you a heads up, 
this book is going to repeatedly challenge you and me to do things like hold on tightly, endure, draw near, don't shrink back, don't waver, don't drift away. Well, from what? Don't drift away from what? Don't drift away from him, from Jesus. Don't drift away from him. Don't shrink back from him. Don't waver in your devotion to him. Instead, draw nearer to him. Hold on more tightly to him. Depend more completely on him. How do you do that? You have to know him better. You have to understand more clearly who he really is. You, you have to appreciate more fully what he has really done for you. Or to say it another way, this book is going to repeatedly remind you and me what the main thing is in being a Christian. Yeah, don't answer out loud, but how would you answer that? If somebody came to you and said, hey, this Christian thing, being a Christian, what is the main thing? I mean, tell me what the main thing is. Well, this book will tell us again and again. The main thing in being a Christian is a relationship with Christ, who is the most important person, most amazing person in the universe. Knowing the truth about him is important, but that's not enough. You and I must actually know him and must actually trust him personally. And we must keep trusting him. And we must not allow anything else or anyone else to take his place in our lives. That's what this book is for. That's what this book is for. To make it crystal clear why Jesus and Jesus alone is the one and only way, the truth, and the life. The way to true life, the way to true joy. That's what this book does. And it starts right here in the first three verses. So we're going to begin today with two statements about Jesus. Uh, the end of verse 2 says, Through whom, that is, through the Son, he, God, created the world. And then in verse two, the, uh, verse 3, second statement, He, that is the Son of God, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Or upholds the world by the word of his power, meaning universe. Now, I just want to point out, right, right away we see something amazing here. Um, we see two persons, one called the Son, one called God, and we see these two persons involved in creating the universe. The word translated world in verse 2 is actually plural, worlds, and it means, you know, all the planets, all the stars, all the galaxies, everything. And so it's, it's saying that God created the universe through the Son. 
And I'm just pointing this out uh, to show you why Christians came to believe that God is one eternal being who exists in more than one person. To be precise, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit isn't mentioned here, but if you go back to the creation account in Genesis, he is. It says the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep, um, and he's all through the rest of the Bible, through this book. And I'm not, I'm not planning to really dive into that topic now. I just want you to notice, because this is one of many passages that lead to the conclusion that God is triune, three in one. And I, I just point that out because sometimes people, you know, it's like, why do Christians make it so complicated? It's just three in one thing. That's really hard to understand. Yeah, I know. But it's, it, 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 we didn't just make it up. We believe it because God, through his word, has described himself that way. So I'm not pursuing that now. That's a little freebie there for you. But here, here's the thing I want to focus on now. This. Jesus, the Son of God, is your maker and your sustainer. Jesus, the Son of God, is your maker and sustainer. That's what I conclude from these two statements. Your maker and sustainer. All right, what does that mean? Let's look a little closer. If you have spent much time in a church that teaches the Bible, like we do here, uh, that sentence, Jesus is your maker and your sustainer, will not, will not sound all that surprising to you. It's probably something you've heard before. But to the world we're living in, that is a radically controversial statement. Because it is saying, contrary to what our culture is constantly telling us, through teachers, all kinds of influential people, teachers, professors, media leaders, uh, documentary narrators, okay, this is saying, contrary to the culture, that you, you are not the unplanned, unintended result of undirected, unintelligent, natural processes, but instead you are part of a designed creation that has come into existence and continues to exist because of an unimaginably intelligent and powerful supernatural person, namely Jesus, the Son of God. In other words, you were made by a person, Jesus. Son of God. That, that is a radically counter-cultural statement. But it is the consistent statement of God's revelation to us. And it's, it's not just here in Hebrews. I want you to see it in some other places. So, Gospel of John. Gospel of John was written by one of 
the apostles of Jesus, someone who knew him personally. And he says, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. So at the beginning, the Word already was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There you see it again. You got two persons, Word, God, and a unity. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Relationship. Verse 3. All things were made through Him, through the Word, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now that last part sounds a little awkward, maybe, but it actually says something very important. What it's telling us is that if anything was made, the Word made it, which means the Word was not made. Okay, the, the, the Word is not a created thing. He created everything that's created. That's the point. And a few verses later, we're told who this Word is. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And a few verses later, we find out his name is Jesus. So that's Gospel of John. All right, Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle repeatedly claimed that Jesus appeared to him alive after his death and resurrection, and that Jesus appeared to him and taught him. And the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. So he's the invisible God made visible. The firstborn over all creation. The firstborn there is a title of authority. Why is he the firstborn over all creation? Because by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him or by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's that sustain part, sustainer. Okay, so author of Hebrews, Apostle John, Apostle Paul, they're all saying the same thing. Well, what about Jesus himself? Did Jesus ever say anything that suggests that he was claiming to be our creator? Yes, he did. He said things like, peace, be still. Now, if that doesn't sound all that impressive, you need to know to whom he said it and what happened when he said it. Okay, look at Mark chapter 4. Here's an account of Jesus in a relatively small boat with his disciples. They were fishermen. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, 
why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? <laughs> In other words, don't you yet realize who I am? Now, this is even more impressive when you read it in light of Old Testament Scripture. Look at Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth. His wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They, the sailors, mounted up to heaven and went down to the depths. That's poetic language for those waves were really big. They went way up and way down. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. Yeah, I can imagine. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord, Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. How? He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Which is why, going back to the disciples in the boat, after Jesus did that very thing, they said, uh, verse 41, they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that he commands that even wind and sea obey him? Good question. Bible answer, he's the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, maker of you, sustainer of you. Jesus also said things like, your sins are forgiven. Always cracks me up when people say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Your sins are forgiven. Some of the bystanders who heard him say that thought, why does this man speak like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question. Because sin, by definition, is going against the will of your creator, the one who made you. The one who defines what's good and what's evil. The one with the right to tell you how to live. So the only one who can forgive you for sinning against your creator is your creator. Jesus can forgive you because he made you. And because he sustains you. Jesus is your maker and sustainer. You live because he gave you life. And you continue to live because he continues to sustain your life. That's what it means. That's what it means that Jesus is your maker and sustainer. Well, what does it look like if you really believe that about him? What does it look like if you truly take that to heart? So what difference does it make? that Jesus is your maker and sustainer? Well, there's a lot we could say. I'll just mention a couple things. First, when you know Jesus as your maker and your sustainer, you learn to thank him for everything good, every good thing. You learn to thank him for every good thing. So James 1.17 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And we know everything that comes to us from the Father comes through the Son. C.S. Lewis, um, many of you probably know that name. Uh, You've probably read some of his books. I hope so. Uh, Highly recommend him as an author. C.S. Lewis, he was a staunch atheist for many years before he became a believer in Jesus. And he once said something really interesting. It it goes like this. He says, uh, it's a terrible moment when the atheist feels really thankful because he has no one to thank. Well, if you know Jesus as your maker and sustainer, you know whom to thank. Because he has literally given you every good thing you have, whether you realize it or not. Everything in your life that is genuinely good, he has provided. So every time you see something in creation that just makes you go, wow, that is awesome, or every time you experience some beauty, every time you see intricate design, you know, sometimes look in the mirror and look at your eyes, just look at them. Forget the wrinkles and stuff. Just <laughs> It is amazing. Or just do this. You know, just look at your hand. It's incredible how we take such incredible, intricate design for granted. Or we say, eh, it just happened. Or every time you hear a baby's giggle and it makes you smile. Every time you see a sunset, a flaming sunset that fills you with a sense of awe. Every time a summer breeze touches your face, every time you smell a really delicious smell and it, it creates hunger in you, or any of 10,000, 100,000, a million other ways that creation displays goodness. Jesus is behind that. I remember it was was about a month ago, I think, I was looking at some fall leaves. I was either out on a walk or looking out my window, and the fall colors just seem especially intense this year. And I'm looking at this tree and the, the brilliant red and the brilliant orange in these leaves, and God in that moment just gave me the ability to say, thank you, Lord, for creating such incredible color in such a mundane, simple thing, a leaf. And thank you that you gave me the ability to see that because that's a complicated thing. You know, your eyes and your optic nerves and your brain and all that. And thank you, most of all, that I know whom to thank. Thank you for that. See, it's a good thing, Psalm 92. It is a good thing. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Thankful people are happy people. Have you noticed that? Thankful people are happy people. It's good for us when we know whom to thank for every good thing. All right, but there's kind of an elephant in the room here, so let me acknowledge it and address it. It is true that much in creation is good, but it is also true that there is much in creation that is messed up, really messed up, and there are probably things in your life that are really messed up. 
well, if Jesus is our maker and sustainer, and if he's completely good, why is that? And the Bible answer is, creation is not now as it originally was. Creation has been broken by our sin, our rebellion against our creator, and the curse that he placed, his just curse upon us on this creation. And it's hard. And it can be ugly. But there's a solution. And it's mentioned in verse 3 when it says, Jesus made purification for sins. The good news is that our maker and sustainer is also our redeemer and restorer and he will one day make right every wrong and there will be no more brokenness for those who trust him. And in the meantime, we wait. We wait for that. And in the meantime, it is still true that every good thing comes from him and reflects him even if that reflection is distorted. He is still worthy of your thanks. So that's the first difference. The second one I'll mention, when you know Jesus as your maker and sustainer, you learn to rely on him for what is best. Everybody wants what's best for their lives, for those they love. Well, when you know him as your maker and sustainer, you learn to rely on him for what is best. That is, believing what he says. Following his instructions, obeying his commands, asking him for his help. Why? Because he knows what is best, always. He made you. He provides for your needs, even when you don't realize it. And even if you're prone to say, well, I work hard for everything I get. Good. Who gave you the ability to work hard? He did. He does. He made you. He knows everything about you. He knows what your true purpose is. He knows what will make you truly happy. He upholds the whole universe. That includes you by the word of his power. You realize the very molecules in your body hold together because he keeps them together? <laughs> you are alive because he keeps you alive. That's what it means, that he's your maker and sustainer. Okay, well, if that's true, it makes absolutely no sense not to trust him for what's best in your life. That makes no sense to think, well, okay, well, he said this, but I think this is the way to go. That'd be like if you bought a new car and you open the owner's manual and says, hey, for your car to really run according to manufacturer's ideal conditions, put unleaded fuel, gasoline in it. You say, nah, I got a bottle of maple syrup here. <laughs> I think that'll work. Who does that? Nobody does that. We do that. Every time we read our maker's directions and we go, nah, I don't think so. It's so stupid. Sin is just stupid. Say, well, it's fun. It's desirable. It's attractive. It's a, yeah, 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 but it's stupid. Tim Keller, listen to this quote. If you want to understand your own behavior, you ever do anything and say, what? What was I thinking? If you want to understand your own behavior, you must understand that all sin against God 
is grounded in, is based on a refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to your good and more aware of what that is than you are. I'll say that again. Tim Keller, if you want to understand your own behavior, you must understand that all sin against God comes from a refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to your good and more aware of what that is than you are. When you know him as your maker and sustainer, you learn to rely on him for what is best. Now, we earlier read one of the most treasured prophecies of Jesus coming into this world. I want to look at it very quickly and just point out how it emphasizes this very truth. So Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's coming, can't wait. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Look at those titles. Wonderful Counselor. That means he always knows what's best. Mighty God. He always is able to do what's best. He's Mighty God. Everlasting Father, he always wants what is best because he's a good father. Prince of Peace, Shalom. Everything as it ought to be. In other words, what is best? He gives that to those who trust and obey him as Lord. Prince of Peace. When you know Jesus as your maker and sustainer, you learn to thank him for every good thing. You learn to rely on him for what's best. There are other things, too. And you can think of those, and you can share them with one another. And uh, next time, we'll seek to unpack more so we can celebrate him more. Let's pray together. And if you're here today, and... and uh, you have not yet come to know him as your maker and sustainer. I just want to remind us and tell you, if you've never heard it, that Jesus says, come to me and I will give you life. Put your trust in me and I will be your father and you will be my child and I will bring you into the family of God. And I will lead you and I will never leave you. Your maker and sustainer. You can know him today if you want to. Father, thank you for sending us such an incredible Savior. Thank you for uh, letting us know you through your Son. And uh, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know, uh, let today be a day that they at least take a step in that direction. Call on you, call on your, your name. And uh, help us, Lord, help us be thankful people, help us people who want to rely on our Savior, our Lord, our our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. Help us do that. We pray in his name. Amen.